Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. You turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Tonight... We're looking at a passage where Jesus says, My hour has come. Tonight we're looking at a passage in which Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the city where the people there, there are people there who, who want to kill him. But he enters in a very public way. He enters riding upon a donkey while people come worshiping him bowing down with palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King of Israel. Recognizing who Jesus really is, but not really yet grasping what He had come to do. We're looking at two stories side by side tonight. First, we're going to look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then something that's a little bit more obscure. The passage right after that where a few Greeks come to speak to Jesus. They want to see Him. And Jesus marks that moment by stating in response, My hour has come. There were other times in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, My hour has not yet come. There's an hour that's coming, but it's not yet here. And, and John tells us that whenever the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, He was able to get away from them because His hour had not yet come. But here Jesus says, My hour is here. Let's look at our text. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. The crowd that had been with Him when He had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised Him from the dead continued to bear witness the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that they had that he had done this sign so the pharisees said to one another you see that you are going you are gaining nothing look the world has gone after him now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some greeks so these came to philip who was from bethsaida and in Galilee, and, and ask him, Sir, 
We wish to see, see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a, a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, therefore, will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would honor the reading of your word and the proclamation of your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, that your seed would go down into us and it would bear much fruit in our lives. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see. Father, we would see your glory, the glory of the Son of Man as you approached your cross. Father, I pray that you would be with me. Give me grace. I am a wretched sinner, and I cannot glory in myself. Lord, I pray that you would give me grace to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Just kind of a little bit of review to where we've been so far. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And whenever he had raised Lazarus from the dead, people began to believe in Jesus. People were believing, and yet not everyone was believing. Some went off and they told the Pharisees and they told the chief priests about what Jesus had done. And they said, you've got to do something about this. If you don't do something about this, everyone's going to believe in Jesus. They weren't able to stop Jesus. The next day, it says, Jesus was going into Jerusalem and he was met by a large crowd. The, the crowd, John tells us, the crowd had heard about what Jesus had done. They had heard about the fact that He raised Lazarus from the dead. And they thought, if a man can give sight to the blind, and if a man can raise another man from the dead, it, he must be the Messiah. This is not just an ordinary man. And so they came out and they met Jesus with palm branches. We celebrate this at Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. What are the significance of palm branches? Well, um, as I've, I've read, um, palm branches kind of became a symbol of Israel at, at the time. It was kind of a, almost a, a nationalistic symbol, uh, a symbol of their nation. And, and what were they recognizing Jesus as? They, they wanted to make him king. They, they felt that he was the true king of Israel. So it was natural that as he was coming in, they, they waved these palm branches, a symbol of their nation. And whenever they were saying, Hosanna, they were quoting from Psalm 118. 
They were calling out, Hosanna for the King of Israel. They recognized who Jesus was. And Jesus, He didn't do what you might expect from a king. You might expect a conquering king to ride into a city riding upon a war horse, looking all majestic in this large horse, kind of like what we see in the book of Revelation. When Jesus does come at the end, when He does come riding upon a white horse with flames, as eyes as flames as fire, But here He doesn't come like that, like riding upon a war horse, but He comes humbly. He comes on a donkey's colt. He comes signifying peace. Not a a conquering king, but He comes riding upon a donkey with humility. Coming, signifying the peace that He brings between His people And God. Then it says, His disciples didn't understand these things. How often it is that we see in the Gospels the disciples just didn't understand. But it was brought to their mind later. It was brought to their mind after the things that all happened, after He was glorified, after He had risen from the dead. It was brought to their mind what these things were all about. When they saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey's colt, and all the people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, it reminded them, oh yeah, in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, the passage that Bradley read from about a a king who would come not with war, but riding upon a donkey's colt. How the Messiah would bring in an age of peace. And he would have a kingdom that would never end. You can imagine what the Pharisees must have thought. You don't have to imagine because it tells us. The Pharisees said to one another, You see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after Him. They're trying to stop Jesus. They're trying to, go to find a way to kill Him. They're trying to find a way to stone Him or something. And yet all of their efforts, all of their labor is for nothing. And all of their trying to stop Him, they noticed that the whole world is going after Him. Now, was this the whole world? Well, here we see that it's the Jews. It's Jewish people that were there that were crying out Hosanna. They were saying He would be the King of Israel. And yet, the Pharisees realized there's something more here. It's the whole world that's coming out after Him. Which brings us to the next passage. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast, the feast that they're all gathered there for is the, is the Passover. Among those who went up to worship were some Greeks. Now these Greeks, uh, you know, in the book of Acts, we, we hear about some Greek-speaking widows and some Hebrew-speaking widows, uh, Hellenistic, uh, those, those uh, Jews who had been among the diaspora, among those who had been scattered people that were, were, um, that were Greek-speaking. But probably not this group. These were probably Gentiles. Maybe they would have been more like Cornelius, who in the book of Acts was a, a 
a Jew who was a God-fearing Jew, who, or not a Jew, he was a God-fearing Gentile, a God-fearing Greek, who admired the Jewish people for the Scripture, admired the way they worship, but didn't go the full steps all the way to converting to Judaism. Probably because, for one, it, do, it uses different terms here. It doesn't use the word that's used later in Acts for the Greek-speaking, the Hellenistic Jews. But it actually is probably more likely either Greeks that had... And by Greeks, it doesn't necessarily mean people who are from Greece proper. But it could be open to any Gentile who was a part of the Greek-speaking world at that time. So, um, it could have been... Greeks who had traveled in from long distance, people who were uh, a part of the Greek world. Or it could have been people just even as close as the Decapolis, which was up in the, in the northern part there, uh, where Jesus had done much of His ministry in Galilee. For whatever reason, these, these Greeks had heard about Jesus, and, and they don't have the courage to come to Jesus directly. But they come to Philip. And Philip, maybe, who knows why they came to Philip. Philip had a, a Greek name. Philip, it means horse. Like Philip the Macedon, who was the father of, of uh, Alexander the Great. He had a Greek name. They came to Philip. And Philip, he didn't come just directly to Jesus either. He came over to Andrew. Another Greek name. Andros, it means man. Philip goes over to Andrew and, and they consult together. What should we do about these Greeks that want to come over and talk to Jesus? Well, they decide that they'll, they'll go to Jesus. What am I making of this, this uh, hesitation they have to go directly to Jesus? Well, Jesus Himself had said, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The, the disciples themselves may have wondered, should we bother with these Greeks? Well, for whatever reason, they decide to come to Jesus and they ask Him. These Greeks, they want to see you. They want to, they want to talk to you. And what does Jesus do? We, we, we don't even get to see the end of the story. He doesn't tell us, it, it doesn't tell us whether or not these Greeks actually got to visit with, with Jesus. But Jesus' reply is, the hour has come that the Son of Man, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Something about these Greeks that were coming to Jesus, signified to Jesus, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. As I talked about earlier, when Jesus turned water into wine, His mother had come to Him asking Him, would you, would you do something about this? We ran out of wine for the wedding. We don't want the couple to be embarrassed. Would you do something about this? And what did Jesus answer? My hour had not yet come. What do you want me to do about it, woman? If you remember that. Jesus had said His hour had not yet come. And then later, He, he met with the Samaritan woman at the well. And He told her, an hour is coming in which true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It won't matter if it's in Jerusalem, or if it's on Mount Gerizim, what will matter is, is it done in spirit and in truth. And that's a future thing. An hour is coming. And then, 
Once, when the people, when the crowds were trying to stone Jesus, he was able to kind of slip away. They weren't able to get him because his hour had not yet come. And then another time in chapter 8, we saw Jesus had been able to go into a very a place where the people had wanted to stone him and no one approached him because his hour had not yet come. And now Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You can kind of see it in the, in the first part we read where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, proclaimed as king, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king of Israel. You can see he's being recognized for who he really was. And yet it isn't until these Greeks come to Jesus and want to see him that Jesus says, my hour has come. Think about the relationship between the Greeks and the Jews and what we know from later Scripture. Paul says to the Romans, the Gospel is the power of salvation both to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Jesus had given His ministry, His earthly ministry to the Jewish people and yet, what, did, what happened? The Jews rejected Jesus. They turned away from Him. They wanted to kill Him. And yet these Gentiles were coming. This signifies what would happen later on when the Gospel would be proclaimed to the Gentiles as well. Then Jesus begins to talk about what it means that He was glorified. That He's to be glorified. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I've been working over the last two weeks at the, the uh, grain elevator in Greenville. We don't have a whole lot of wheat coming in. A little bit of wheat has been coming in. Mostly it's been corn. A little bit of beans, but mostly corn. And, and we just get truckloads and truckloads and truckloads and truckloads. They just doesn't stop of all this corn that is coming in. But know that it all just started from some seeds that were harvested and then were planted. And then you get an abundance of crop afterwards. Jesus here is saying it's like that. You, you have to plant the seed. It has to fall to the ground and die and then it will bear much fruit. We see this whenever Jesus talks about the parable of the sowers. And some of the, 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 the seed falls on good soil. It goes into the ground and it produces a harvest of some 60 some, uh, I can't remember, some 40, some 60, some 100 fold. And Jesus is saying, that's what His life will be like. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. There is a benefit to the grain of, of wheat falling to the earth and dying. And that is, it will rise again and produce much fruit. 
And here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to be like that grain. I'm going to fall to the earth and die. Be placed in a tomb. Rise again. And there will be much fruit. There will be all the world will come to Jesus. Both the Jew and the Greek will come to Jesus. No longer will it just be this, this small group of Israel, but the Gospel will be proclaimed of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and fruit will be brought in from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation of the earth. Jesus is saying the Son of Man will be glorified when He lays down His life, when He dies and He rises again. Then there will be much fruit. Verse 25, Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, we we often think about this in terms of of discipleship. If you want to follow Jesus, you give your life because it doesn't matter if you gain the whole world and then lose your soul. We, we are to follow Jesus. We're to, to lay our own lives down and follow Jesus. Make Him priority. But in the context that Jesus is saying here, I think it, it, it goes right down to the heart of when Jesus says, you must take up your cross and follow Me. The fruit that Jesus produces, it's believers, it's those who have trusted in Him, and we are to live a life that imitates Jesus. Just as He had to go to the ground and die and be raised and bear much fruit, so we are to lose our lives. If we love our lives, that is, if we want to keep everything for ourselves, if we want to have glory to ourselves, if we want to just do things our own way and not submit to the Lordship of Jesus, we lose our lives. We lose our soul, though we may gain the whole world. But yet, then he says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What does it mean whenever he says hates? It's very similar whenever Jesus says, unless a man hates his father and mother and brothers and sisters, he cannot be my disciple. It doesn't mean literally like hate, hate, like I can't stand to be around you kind of hate. I, I, don't, I don't like you. I, that's not what it means. But it's the idea of loving Jesus so much that it looks like you hate the rest of the world. You've got to love Jesus so much that it looks like, in comparison, that you hate your family. You have to make Him the priority. When it comes to your decisions, your family may call you crazy because you've decided to follow Jesus. And it looks like from the outside... Maybe that you hate your own family. But it's not that you do. It's that you love Jesus so much that in comparison it looks like hate. 
Jesus here says, whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just, not just to be uh, an extra level of discipleship. That's what, it, that's what it means to be a Christian. We must let go of everything. We must be crucified with Christ. We let it all go for the glory of being with Christ. He is our glory. We glory in Him alone. And finally, verse 26, If anyone serves Me, he must follow Me. And where I am, there will My servant be also. If anyone serves Me, the Father will, serve, will honor him. This is Jesus explaining more, I think, about what He means, but if we are to follow Jesus, if we're to be His disciples, if we are to follow after Him, we're to be imitating the kind of life that He had. It's not about me. It's not about my desires. It's about letting go of all of my desires for what God has called us to do. Now, <laughs> I always feel kind of funny whenever I preach this way. Because it almost seems like, like I'm preaching the law. Like, you've got to be really, really tough to be a Christian. <laughs> you, you've got to let, let go of everything, and, and it's all about what you do. But that's exactly the opposite of what it's saying. It's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about what He gave. He gave His life. He fell to the ground. He died to raise up fruit, which is us. And He has created us in Christ Jesus for good works that He's prepared beforehand for us to do. Because He has given His life and raised from the dead, He gives us the strength. He gives us the power to live a new life that is crucified with Christ. We can't do it on our own from our own efforts. Nobody can be strong enough in their own strength to live this kind of life. It can only be because we've trusted in Jesus. Trusted what He's done for us. Received the free gift of salvation that comes from just believing. Trusting in Him. And He does a work that bears fruit in us so that we can have the strength to bear fruit in our community and in our world. Jesus doesn't end here. He goes on talking about this same idea that His hour has come. We're going to see in the next chapter, in the next, not in the next chapter, but in the next section we look at whenever I'm back. Uh, Jesus says, the Son of Man be lifted up. That's His hour. The Son of Man be lifted up. He'll draw all men to Himself. What were the Pharisees concerned about? 
The whole world has gone after him. What happened then? The Greeks, they came looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, if I be lifted up, the whole world, all, I will draw all people to myself. So let's lift up Jesus. His hour is here. And this time that we meet together is about Him, lifting Him up, glorying in Him, and He will draw people to Himself. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook. 